0: This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Many years ago, our former pastor, Dr. Bill Poor, whenever he got up to preach or do a Bible study, he often would say, all right, let's go down deep and not come up dry. And so this morning, we're going to go down deep. Now you say, but pastor, I thought you were talking about digging out. We are... But sometimes it's necessary, before we can dig out, to go down deep. So in the words of Dr. Poor, we're going to go down deep this morning. We're not going to come up dry, and we're going to see about what all that involves. Because quite frankly, sometimes we need to go deep in many ways. And I've called this message this morning, the pit is necessary. Because more often than not, we want to dig our way out of the pit. Years ago, back when I was in high school and college, one of the ways that you described difficult circumstances would you would say, this is the pits. Y'all remember that? Some of you? My job is the pits. School is the pits. That meant it was bad, it was terrible, you were down there, and it was ugly, and it was difficult. And we didn't want to be in the pit. We didn't want to live in the pits. We wanted to come out of the pits. And let's face it, that's what we all want, isn't it? Nobody wants to have difficulty. Nobody wants to live through denial or something like that. We we want everything to be great. We want everything to be good. We want to be up and running. But the reality is sometimes the pit is necessary. Sometimes we need to be down there in that hole. Because before we can dig out, there are some lessons we need to learn there and maybe god has placed us in that pit we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks but maybe god has placed us in that pit because as we said when we talked about the sovereignty of god nothing happens that either doesn't permit happen or make happen so if you're in the pits if your life is the pits if your school your job whatever is the pits don't despair because sometimes the pit is necessary I love the story written by Somerset Maugham, the great British writer and author. And he once wrote a story about a janitor who worked at St. Peter's Church in London. He was a janitor. I can relate to that. I was a janitor of a church and two churches long before I ever got in the pulpit. But he was a janitor in the church. And one day a young priest, a young vicar, discovered that this janitor was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. He was illiterate. And unfortunately, he was a bit bigoted, and he fired him because of that. He fired this janitor because he couldn't read and write. And so after he fired him, this janitor, being jobless, took what little savings he had and invested in a small tobacco shop. Well, after a while, his investment turned out well, and he got more money, and he was able to open another shop, and then later he opened another shop, and after a while, he had several shops in the London area worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was doing well. Until one day, as he was going along, someone asked him, they said, you've done very well for an illiterate, but where would you have been if you could read or write? You know, you've done all right for a guy who's illiterate. Well, well, wonder what your life would have been if you could read or write. He said, I'd still be a janitor at St. Uh, Peter's at the church. I'd still be there. Now, this isn't an advocacy for not reading and writing. Bless God, get your education. But, you know, here is a man who is, who is considered by society anyway. I think janitorial works wonderful work. Again, I did it. Do it again if I had to. But society considered him down at the lower end of the, of the echelon. He was just a dude that mops up and sweeps up. And he couldn't read or write. And then he got fired. You talk about being in a pit, being thrown in a deeper pit. Yet he was able to climb out of that and do something about his situation. See, that's what God wants us to do. Sometimes God puts us in that difficult situation, sometimes God throws us into that pit because God wants to do something greater than, with our lives than is being done right now. And so I want you to keep that thought in mind as we go to prayer before we open the word. So bow with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing you. Father, thank you that you've drawn us here to this place today. Lord, this is just a building. These are just chairs, carpeting. Lord, it's, it's just material things. But Lord, the church is here today. Your body is here. And Father, right now, at this moment, you can take this body of people and you can do amazing, eternal things that will be impactful in our world. But Father, we need to be ready to reach up to you. Help us to do that through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The pit is sometimes necessary. People say, boy, we just went through COVID. We're still digging out from COVID. Yes, we are. We still have areas in the church that we're trying to dig out from COVID. It's a difficult situation. No question about that. Even on the way here this morning, as I was listening to the radio, uh, uh, one of the local pastors was on and talking about the fact that, that we do live in a fallen and broken world. And the pandemic affected us in many ways. And he asked the question, or is answering the question, why would God bring us through this? And the reality is God, and we've said it before, and I want you to hear it again, God allowed the pandemic. And we need not to miss the message in the misery. Because sometimes it's necessary to go through misery. Sometimes it's necessary to be in the pit. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I know that because we go through it. We found out God is sovereign. If He didn't want us to go through it, we wouldn't be going through it. So what do we do about that? Where's the lesson in that? Well, take your Bibles and join me in John chapter 12, the Gospel of John chapter 12. Because like us, people even in Jesus' day were curious. They had questions. They wanted to know. They wanted to see. They wanted to understand And so as Jesus was going about his public ministry in John chapter 12, we are getting to the end of his earthly ministry. We're getting to the end of his nearly three years of going about and teaching and doing miracles and and doing wondrous works. Up until this time, Jesus has denied public recognition, recognition for the most part. He would say, my hour has not yet come. But in this passage, Jesus' hour has come. The hour of his mission, the the climax of his reason to be on earth. He is getting ready to offer himself as a ransom for the world. And despite his lack of wanting to be known, his fame has spread abroad. And here in Israel, as he was teaching and preaching, we pick up in verse 20, we see an inquiry. People with questions it says in verse 21, now there were or verse 20, now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. In Jerusalem, Jews from all over the world would come and to worship God. And among the Jews were Gentile God fearers. These were Gentiles from all the known world at the time who followed the God of the Old Testament who to the best of their ability tried to keep the laws of the Old Testament, they were termed God-fearers. And while the Jews still saw them as second-class citizens because of their Gentile lineage, they still nonetheless feared Almighty God. And as they began to hear about and find out about Jesus, they were curious. They were curious. They wanted to know about Him. And understand this, we live in a world today that is filled with people who are curious about Jesus. They want to know about Him. You and I have the answers, or at least we should. But unfortunately, many Christians, when they're uh, they're asked questions, they're either put off or they're afraid because I can't answer that question. That's a shame. We ought to be able to answer these questions. But nonetheless, people are curious. Even skeptics, even atheists, even in their most vitriolic moments, they're simply seeking, trying to find out what's right or wrong, what's true or not. And curiosity is still rampant today about Jesus. People want to know. And these Greeks, these, these Gentile uh, God-fearers wanted to know. Now, there were certain Greeks among them. They came to worship at the feast, verse 21. Then they, came, then they came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples. Why to Philip? Well, Philip is a Greek name. Philip is a Greek name. They felt like they could go to him because at least his name was comfortable to them. At least his name was familiar to them. So they go to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, We wish to see Jesus. Now, it's an interesting word here, this word see. Because in the Greek, it's more than just lay your eyes on something. There's another Greek word for that. Here in the New Testament, where it uses the word to see, they want to see him, they want to perceive him, they want to understand him. It's more than just, gee, i like to see this famous guy. They want to actually perceive Jesus. They want to see him and get to know him. They want to find out about him. And listen, that's what people basically want to do. They want to find out what is the big deal. What is all the fuss? Who is this man? We've heard so many things about him. Some of them true, some of them not. But that's what they wanted. They wanted an introduction. They had an interest in Jesus. They wanted an an introduction to him. We wish to see Jesus. Listen, as difficult as this world is, And as anti God as it seems to be, there are people at your school, people at your job, people in your family and in your neighborhood that really would love to see the true biblical Jesus. They want to see him. They want to know why you care. They want to know why it matters to you. Because they're struggling with the difficulties, they're hurting with problems, they're having tough times. And they need him as much as you and I need him. And the reason why they go off on all sorts of strange and perverted directions is because they're looking for something else to fill that need rather than Jesus. And the sad part about it is because there's no one really there with the strength or with the intelligence to share, them, share with them the truth about Jesus. They have an interest in Jesus. We live in a world that is interested in Jesus and we have the truth. So there was an inquiry. They wanted an introduction to Jesus, not just to see Him, not just to lay eyes on Him, but to get to know Him. We wish to see Jesus. Look at verse 22. So Philip came and told Andrew, another disciple with a Greek name. And Andrew is great because Andrew, as you go through the Gospels, he was the one who constantly was taking people to Jesus. The disciples, even among themselves, knew who to go to. They went to Andrew. Yes, he had a Gentile name. He had a Greek name. And, uh, but Andrew was great because Andrew was always taking somebody to Jesus, seeking to introduce somebody to Jesus. You know, as we look at disciples and we, and we see their lives and their actions, Andrew would be a good role model for us. Actually, all the disciples in their own personalities and, and in their own ways were responsible for uh, bringing people to Jesus. But Andrew, it seemed like that was his gift That was his stock and trade. He wasn't interested in meeting people just for his own benefit. He wanted to to bring them to Jesus. And so they came to Philip, they came to Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. So here's Jesus, he's doing ministry, and Andrew and Philip come up and say, hey, Lord, there are some, some Greeks who want to meet you. They're curious, they want to know about you. Can we go get them? Can we bring them over? Now, in this inquiry, they had an interest in Jesus. They wanted an introduction to Jesus. But understand this, they're getting ready to meet a Jesus that they weren't prepared to meet. And quite frankly, in this passage, Jesus is now going to present himself in such a way that if you're on the surface, it's going to be a little bit off-putting. Because understand this, Jesus doesn't conform to our image of Him. We need to conform our image to who He really is. Even today, Jesus, oh, He's the great teacher. He's the great healer. Uh, Some people see Jesus as the radical politician. Some people see Jesus as the friend of sinners. Some people see Jesus, and this is how we do it in the church, He's the great therapist. Or He's the grocery list fulfiller. He's all these things. But Jesus... He may do some of that. And there's some partial truth in there. But the reality of Jesus is that he is Lord of all and Savior of those who believe. Amen. And they're going to get ready to get an introduction. And actually, in the scriptures, we don't really see whether he actually allowed them to come to him or not. We don't see him interacting with them. Oh, he interacts with Gentiles in other places. But even then, he, he, he interacts in a way they didn't expect. One Gentile lady, one Greek lady wanted to meet him. He said, ma'am, should I, should I take the crumbs uh, from the table and give them to you while I'm trying to feed the house of Israel? Sometimes Jesus' answers weren't exactly always warm and fuzzy, and it wasn't this time either. Because they're going to see and hear something about Jesus that we often forget. Or if we don't forget, we just simply don't reflect on it as much as we should. So as you're gathered here, hopefully you're here for inquiry. Hopefully you're here because you want to know more about Jesus. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at his his answer as he answers Andrew and Philip. Look at verse 23. He's going to give an illustration here. He says, but Jesus answered them saying, bring him over. I'd love to meet him. No, that's not what he said. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Now now put yourself in the Andrew and Philip's place. You've been following Jesus now for just about 3 years. And you're excited about being part of his ministry. And these people coming, we want to know Jesus. We want to see him. We want an introduction to him. So the two guys, man, they bring they come, Jesus, these guys want to see you and Jesus doesn't say bring them over. I'd like to meet them. He totally says something completely out of the blue. And what we find here is one of the few times toward the end of his ministry that he tells them of his coming death and resurrection. He says, it's, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In other words, this is now the climax of my mission. This is now the, the, the goal of my ministry has arrived. The reason why I'm on earth is at hand. So before you bring these fellows over, let me go ahead and illustrate this because listen, this isn't about celebrity and, and, and groupies. This is not about, oh, we want to meet this famous man. He gives an illustration, and this is where we're going to talk about this morning why the pit in life is sometimes necessary. The Son of Man, it's time that he should be glorified. Verse 24 Most assuredly I say to you, and here is this illustration. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Again, an an ignomatic answer. I don't understand that, Lord. What do you mean? I hear these guys, they want to meet you, and you're over here saying, it's time for me to be glorified, and now I'm going to give you an illustration about, about seeds, about wheat kernels. But the illustration involves two very major truths. A seed must be buried. What Jesus was trying to tell them, look, my earthly ministry is coming to an end. The reason why I was brought here, sent here is at hand. And things aren't going to be all skittles and fun. We're not going to go from city to city now and heal and proclaim and preach and draw crowds. As a matter of fact, the next little while after this, somebody's looking for something. Either that or somebody escaped. I don't know which. But after this, things are going to get difficult, dicey, and even ugly from the world's standards. Are you sure these guys want to get involved? Are you sure these guys want to meet me? Because understand this about being a follower of Christ, a term we like to use today. It involves more than just answered prayers and happy hearts. He's going to talk to them about being a seed. And now I am not an agricultural person, as many of you well know. I purchase my vegetables or have them lovingly brought by wonderful gardeners in the church. I just had some delicious cucumbers last night, grown at the reed farm, and they were very good. Could I grow cucumbers? I can grow annoyed, I can grow mean, but I can't grow anything. Sometimes I can grow mold in my office if I don't clean it enough. But I do know that in order for a plant to grow, in order for a cucumber, uh, a tomato, or, or a wheat stalk, the seed needs to be taken out of the barn. Now, I don't have a barn, but I've been in barns, and barns are very comfortable. They're very warm. They're very pleasant being in a barn. The wonderful sound of animals and the warmth in the barn. And if I were a seed, I would probably like to stay in the barn. If I were a seed, I'd like to be comfortable tucking my little bag with the other seeds, with the community, having a good time, having seed parties. But it's necessary for the seed to do what God intended the seed to do. It. It's necessary for that seed to be taken out of that comfortable barn and thrown in a hole in the ground. Do you want to be a seed? A seed has to be taken and shoved into a deep, dark hole where it's dirty, where it's cold, and then it's covered up. And it's necessary for that seed in its gestation period to be broken up, to be broken and and, and for the plant to come out. So the seed must be buried and the seed must be broken. It's not a pleasant thing for a seed. A seed must die in order for a plant to come up. And Jesus is here telling us that, listen, guys, my ministry is getting ready to come to a pit. And if you go through the next chapters, 13 through 19, you see the difficulty that Jesus endured. And over and over again, he tries to tell them, I'm going to die. They're going to take me. I'm going to be crucified and they're going to bury me and I'm going to rise But even His closest disciples didn't catch it. Even in John chapter 14, where at the the Passover meal, Jesus is very clear. And after He tells them, His disciples are just grieved. They're broken. They're confused. And He has to tell them in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But you know, even after that, they were still confused. Because we, even us, we don't understand why we have to deal with the pit. Why do we have to go through problems? Why does life have to be tough? Why did we have to go through the COVID pandemic? Why did we have to hurt? Why did I have to get fired from my job? Why, Why did my mother get sick with cancer? Why don't my kids behave? Why are these bills hard to pay? Man alive, we can do this all day, can't we? Why is this going on? Why, God, are you making me go through this? But the reality is God is allowing us to go through it. Because sometimes the pit is necessary. And that's what he's trying to illustrate. For even Jesus faced a pit. We forget that when we struggle and suffer that our Savior also struggled and suffered. And his pit started with a cross. He was nailed to a cross. Can you imagine? No, of course you can't. I can't. What that's like oh I've endured painful things I've gone through physically difficult things so have you but I cannot imagine having my very arms nailed to wood or my feet put together I grew up in Florida we had sand spurs maybe if you go to the beach maybe they have them there I don't know about Myrtle Beach but I remember getting a sand spur in my heel I cried like a baby or I remember when I was a little kid we used to drink sodas out of a can how many of y'all old enough, I'm going to date myself, and you peel off the top? Remember that? You opened it up, you had a little metal thing. You could cut somebody's throat with that, but that was on the top of our soda can. And invariably, if you had that, you stepped on one. How many of y'all stepped on one of those growing up? Yeah, see? You young people don't know what misery is really like. Until <laughs> you stepped on a pull tab from an aluminum can that after they pulled it off, it was a weapon that a martial artist could use. And we were a wimpy man, that was tough. Oh, we had to get chrome. that was nasty stuff. And we had to get all bandaged up. I can't imagine going through the suffering that our Lord went through. Because a seed must be buried, it must be broken. And sometimes God has to put us in the pit because there are things about us that need to be buried. And sometimes we need to be broken. This is not the kind of sermon I know you came to hear today. I get it. It's not the kind of sermon I really wanted to preach today. But it's the kind of sermon I needed to hear, and so do you. Instead of cursing the pandemic, listen, that was our pit. And as we dig out of it, we need to pull something with us. See, God wanted to take his church and shove it into the ground. God wanted to break His church. I believe that. The more I've gone through this, the more I look around, I believe God just said, you know what? It's pit time. It's planting time. And Jesus was here describing and illustrating His own life. He said, basically, He was telling them, I am the seed. This traveling about from city to city preaching is going to be paused for a little while while your leader becomes a seed. They're going to break me. They're going to bury me. But of course, he rose again from the dead. That's the whole moral and point of the story. But a seed, we're the seed. And it's easier to sit in the barn. Listen, this church is the barn. We like to think of this as a sacred edifice of human worship. You know what this place is? It's a barn. Oh, I know some of the people, oh, you said that about my church? Well, first, it's not your church, and yes, I did, okay? This is a barn, and here we sit in our little seedling groups. God wants us out these doors. He wants us in the world, and he wants sometimes to break us and bury us so that out from our lives can grow something amazing. So the illustration is of a seed. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless... A grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone but if it dies listen to this it produces much grain I mean that's just the natural order that God created the world in broken buried dirty filthy uncomfortable seeds produce beautiful wonderful fields of fruit and goodness But that will not happen while the seed sits in the barn. It will not happen while the seed is comfortable. It will not happen while the seed is is not in the ground. God needs to put the seed in the ground. God needs to break that seed. That seed must die. And this is the illustration that Jesus was sharing to his disciples as they were getting ready to bring these guys over to meet him. Can you imagine being Philip and Andrew after that little statement? Uh, Andrew, go get them. Not me. I don't know. These guys might not want to come after this. Because know this. You read the Gospel of Mark especially. The Gospel of Mark demonstrates how really, in some instances, how clueless his disciples were. Even at one point he says, are you so dull that you don't get it? Now, I'm not trying to be ugly or disparaging to his disciples, because guess what, folks? We are too. I had a young man I was talking to not too long ago, and he was talking about the ministry. He said, Pastor, how is it that you stay in the ministry that long? I say, well, I'm a shepherd, and I deal with sheep, and sheep aren't real bright. And you just have to be patient. And he looked at me, and he said, man, that was ugly. How can you talk about your church people that way? I said, look, I'm the head sheep. I'm not bright either. It's difficult. But nonetheless, he wanted us to know this. Because following him, living for him. You know, I'm amazed at how many people today, instead of calling themselves Christians, they call themselves Christ followers. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to call yourself that, you had better live it out. Because there are a lot of Christ followers I've seen that sometimes they're not exactly following. So just keep that in mind. Because following Christ is not just going to Bible studies, prayer groups, and having fellowships around a table. It's not just about wearing Christian jewelry and Christian t shirts and listening to Christian music. Being a follower of Christ means that you are a seed you make yourself a seed and you pray that God will get you out of the barn and shove you in the ground and break you. Look what Jesus says in verse 25 as we move from illustration to illumination. Now he's going to enlighten them about what he's trying to say. He says, He who loves this life will lose it. And he who hates his life In this world, we'll keep it for eternal life. That word keep means literally guard and protect it. In other words, as a seed, a seed cannot be comfortable staying in the barn. God didn't call seeds to stay in barns. God didn't call seeds to stay in seed packets. God made seeds to be planted, broken, and die so that things might come up. Problem is, we like the barn. The barn is comfortable. The barn is cozy. We want to come to the barn, and we want to sing barn songs, and we want to see all the other barnyard seeds. We have our barn traditions. We do things the barn way. It's comfortable here in the barn. But God doesn't want us to stay here. God wants us to go out of the barn. And sometimes, yes, God will take us and shove us into the ground. And it's difficult, and it's hard. He may do it through financial problems, health problems. He may do it just because we have people around us who are skeptic of Christianity, skeptical of Christianity. He may cause all sorts of issues to bury us and to break us. But we're seed. Unless you think that's not fair, Jesus demonstrated that because he was talking about in those earlier verses himself. He was basically saying, I'm a seed and I'm getting ready to be broken and buried. And if if that doesn't happen, listen, if Jesus didn't endure the cross and if Jesus didn't die and allow himself to be buried for three days and rise again, there would be no salvation. Because there have been a lot of religious leaders. Listen, Muhammad was a religious leader. Muhammad, he, 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 he didn't die uh, in, a, in a death like that. He died in old age. Buddha was a religious leader. We really don't know much about Buddha other than he taught some interesting things. Yet millions follow him. Even Moses. I can name off religious leader after religious leader. We could just be another religion. We could just be another belief system with our leader who taught stuff and died in old age. But that's not real and it's not true. Jesus was a seed. Jesus allowed himself to be taken out of the barn. He left the splendors of heaven. I mean, this isn't heaven, but God took on flesh, left heaven. He didn't have to, but he did. Can you imagine being God, unlimited, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, and clothing yourself in flesh that hurts, flesh that gets tired, flesh that gets hot, flesh that gets cold, flesh that gets hungry, flesh that feels pain and suffering? Oh, that's what Jesus did. And then that flesh was nailed to a cross to experience agony. After he was whipped mercilessly with a cat of nine tails, ripping his flesh and then that flesh died. And they buried him. God. But he rose again and he's alive. And because he's alive, he stands by to offer salvation to all who would come, confessing their sin and trusting in him. That would not have happened. None of those other religious leaders can do anything for you, they can make your life more miserable, more stressful. We were talking about that yesterday. A group of men went over to help clean out Jack Monette's house, and we were talking about how different religions, instead of providing assurance and, and, and confident anticipation and hope, instead they provide stress because you never know whether you're going to die and live eternally with the Lord or not. So he's talking about these illuminating saying, "Look, if you love this life, plan to lose it. Don't be attached to it. Let it go. And he who hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, this isn't it. Talking about loving the Lord. Oh, I love Jesus. I hear people tell me that all the time. I love Jesus. Do you? Because it's more than just having a fond affection for Him. When I fell in love with my wife and and I gave myself to her, we married, I gave my life to her. I became submissive to her needs. I gave my life to her. No longer could I do everything I wanted to do. No longer could I be everything I wanted to be, what she needed me to be. I fail a lot of times, most of the time, but that was the the deal. We talk about following Christ. Look what he goes on to say. He says in verse 26, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. The word literally means to go where he goes. And he illuminates that. He says, where I am, there my servant will be also. That stands to reason if you follow somebody, you're going to go where they go. Now we follow people. We follow people on Facebook. We follow people on Instagram, Twitter. We go where they go. Sometimes it's a terrible trip. Okay, if you're going somewhere to eat, I'm going to follow you. Okay, hopefully you'll buy me something. My son was at the movies last night, went with a buddy, and a lady came up. She wanted to cut in line. She said, if you let me cut in line, I'll buy you anything you want. And he said, sure. But anyway, uh, look, you know, we follow. He got a large Coke, popcorn, and all kinds of good things for it. But anyway, although that was hysterical. Following Jesus means going where he goes. He goes. Yes, He's with us right now because He says so. Where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. But you know where else Jesus is? Jesus is in the Dominican Republic. Jesus is at your job. Jesus is in your neighborhood. He wants to be there. You know why? He wants to go to your job so that others come to know Him. He wants to go to your neighborhood and in your family and in your living room so that you will come to know Him. Jesus sometimes goes in places you and I don't want to go. He wants us to do things. You know what? Jesus is going to be involved in Bible school. You know what? Bible school is a whole lot of hard work. But Bible school is a place where we can gather kids and share the gospel with them. Young people and adults. And we can encourage our own church kids to a greater walk with him. Following Jesus means going where he goes and being where he is. Loving Jesus means giving up your life and giving it to him. Following means going where he's going. And then he finally says, "If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor." You know, we like to have our faces on Facebook. We like to people to know what we're doing. That's why we put it out there. You know, we do that. We like to, you know, we like just to let people know, hey, I'm still here. I'm doing fine. And we like it when somebody likes our stuff on Facebook. Doesn't it discourage you when you put something profound on Facebook, nobody likes it? Because let's be honest, you search Facebook more often than not to see if people like your stuff than you are wanting to know what's going on. I ain't got any likes for that. I put that kidney stone on three weeks ago. Nobody said anything. (laughs) I'm just amazed all the time about stuff people put on Facebook. People talk about, my favorite one is, if you love Jesus, you will share this. If you love Jesus, you will go share Jesus. Amen? Amen. Share your thing on Facebook please don't put on there for me to share because if that's that that's that's kryptonite for me If you tell me I got to share if I oh if you hate cancer share I hate cancer I had it but I ain't sharing your post <laughs> What is, I mean I don't understand that but we're, we're just that way we are we want people to like our stuff listen At the end of the day you need to ask yourself whose honor are you looking for See sometimes in the pit God has to put us down because he needs us to be humbled he needs to break us before he can make us. And then we rise up through, through grace and almighty power of God, and then it's the honor from God is all we want. You know, I may never go through this world ever being known by anybody outside of this little community, but that's okay. Because I, wanna, I want honor from God. The Bible tells me at the end of the book of Daniel... It says, they that turn many to righteousness will shine as the brightness of the firmament forever. Well, you talk about your name up in lights. But we do that by by glorifying God. So sometimes God has to put us in the pit. Because God wants to break us before he can make us. Loving Jesus is more than just being fondly affection to him when he does what you want him to do. It involves giving up your life. It involves becoming the seed and being buried and broken. And die for Him. Die to self. Because that's what He's ultimately saying. It was necessary for Jesus to die in order that we might live. If we're going to follow Him, it's just more than I'm going to read a devotion every day and pray a couple of times a week. No, it means go where He's going to be. No matter what, no matter how, no matter where, no matter when. That's what following Jesus is, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's difficult. And serving Him is the only way you're going to get eternal honor. So that's the illumination. Jesus is looking, telling these guys, look, fellas, if they were even listening, if they brought Him over, my ministry from this point on, it was never pretty, but it's not going to be pretty, it's going to be difficult because this person they're following, I'm, I'm a seed. And they're gonna take me, and they're gonna kill me, and they're gonna bury me. Oh, I will rise. But before that rising occurred, they went through a very hellish, difficult time. And that's why God allows problems to come into our lives. That's why God allows difficulty. Let me share with you quickly five things about problems. First, problems often provide us with greater opportunities. Problems provide us with greater opportunities. Problems make us get up, get out, get going, go get something dealt with. And more often than not, we're able to see the hand of God if we yield to Him. We're able to share the Word of God with people. Problems create opportunities. To share the gospel. Secondly, problems can promote our spiritual maturity. Sometimes God has to grow us up. Bring us through toughness, difficulty, sorrow, struggling. Go back and read over 1 Peter again and all the struggling that the church was getting ready to go through. You know, as a parent... I wish I could make everything work for my kids. I wish I could do everything. I wish I could give them everything. But you know what? There are times when they have to learn the hard way. And that's tough for a parent to say. It's tough to have to watch your children stumble and fall. But sometimes it's the only way we learn. Because God lets us stumble and fall. It's part of maturing. As a matter of fact, read Psalm 105 on your own sometimes. It's a whole litany of how Israel stumbled and fell and God would continuously deliver them and pull them up. Problems also provide, or rather prove, our integrity. Man, that's deep. Did you hear that? Problems prove our integrity. It's been said that the only way sometimes you know what kind of tea is in a tea bag is put it in hot water. Think of the church of Jesus Christ as a teabag. We've just gone through a whole kettle of hot water. And I'll be honest with you as a pastor, I've been disappointed with many people as we've gone through this hot water experience. And I'm sure I've disappointed people in some way or another. You want to find out what's really in the heart and mind of a person, put the pressure on them. Watch how they respond and react to difficulty. I have to admit to my share of failures. But the word integrity comes from the word integrated. It means do you have it all together? And sometimes when the hot water comes, the problems come, things fall apart. Number four, problems also produce a sense of dependence. That goes without saying. Because sometimes we get caught up in our money. We get caught up in our, in our friends. We get caught up in our stuff. We depend upon our health. We depend upon our politics, our party. Uh, man, what a mess we went through with this whole presidential election. We had some people thinking, oh, this president's going to be our savior. That president's going to be our savior. I've been alive for many presidents. Ain't none of them saved anything. And they're not going to. Jesus Christ is our savior. And sometimes we have to go through difficulty... To understand that and learn to depend upon God. I, when I was going through the cancer situation last year, I was, I'm still going to do it. I'm going to print up a t-shirt that says you've got to sometimes go through hell to get well. Uh-huh. And I learned to depend upon God so much more then. And finally, problems prepare our hearts for ministry. Because we get so comfortable, we forget there are hurting people. Struggling people. Who need us. And sometimes God wants to put us in the pit and break us and, and, and do that in order for us to be able to relate to people who are struggling and suffering. Again, this group is going to the Dominican Saturday. They're leaving Saturday. They're not going down there to be the savior for Dominica, the Dominican Republic. Dominica, did I say that? They're going down there to help those who are struggling with ministry and come alongside them. They're godly people down there, but they need help. Just like we need help here. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is this, as we finished. We must die to self to truly live for Him. That's what a seed does. Troubles, trials, being thrown in the pit. We've got to come to the place when we're there saying, you know what, I need to die to this world and I need to live for Jesus. All my hopes, all my dreams, all my aspirations, all my goals, I need to die to them. In other words, sometimes the pit is necessary. We're so concerned about digging out that we forget what we're there to begin with. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says this, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The whole symbolic understanding of being baptized, when we're taken down in the water, we die to self. When we rise out of the water like Christ rose again from the dead, we rise to newness of life. Baptism doesn't save, it's merely a symbol of that truth. He says, therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into His death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. See, here's the whole thing about the pit and the whole thing about the seed. The seed shouldn't stay a seed. It needs to become a stalk of wheat. It needs to become an orange tree. It needs to become a field of watermelon. It needs to become what it's, what it's supposed to be for God. But you know what? We as Christians, we like being seeds. And God needs to cast us into the pit. God needs to break us. He needs to bury us. And yes, we need to die to self before we'll ever see the fields of fruitfulness that God expects from us. I close with this from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes, who began life as a simple shoe salesman, but ended up leading tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus in the late 1800s, he said this. He says, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one. And that one prayer is this, that I may die to self and live wholly by him. That's a very difficult prayer to pray. It's a scary prayer to pray. But unless you and I adopt that attitude, we will not see what God wants us to see. Unless you and I get that attitude of our heart, unless that is our prayer, this church, your life, will never see the fruitfulness that God wants to make happen. So sometimes the pit is necessary. Instead of digging out, sometimes we need to be buried. Sometimes instead of being delivered, we need to be devastated. And yes, we as believers need to die to self and selfishness so that we might let it go and live for Jesus and walk with him. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.